0: Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for this time that we can gather to to worship you through our fellowship, to worship you through our time of singing. We can worship you through the studying of your word. And so, Father, I pray that you would lead us and guide us and help us as we continue our study through First John. Uh, We are in a section that is really um, challenging us uh, to love as you love. Um, Father, we pray uh, that you would help us to understand uh, biblical love, Uh, not love as the world says, but that we would love uh, sacrificially and um, selflessly, and that we would be like you with our lives, with our resources, um, that we would just be people that would be intentional about caring about others. We love you, Father, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right. So we're in first John chapter three, verses 11 through 18, but I'm going to back up to verse 10. So first John chapter three, verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. If anyone who does not practice righteousness is anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning. That we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the devil, was of the evil one, excuse me, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. And Father, we do thank you for this passage. We ask, Lord, that you would um, help this word to penetrate our hearts, Lord, help us to love like you. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen. So so much of like today's passage I can't not think that in the, the background of the apostle John's mind as he's writing this was the Lord's Supper when Jesus was betrayed. Uh, the apostle John was, was there that night. That night began. If you remember, they made their way up to this room. It was the Passover celebration. Um, they'd cleared the room out from any sort of, uh, helpers being there. Nobody else was there. And, and a job that would have normally been performed by by somebody a staff the lowest ranking person who whoever was in the room would be to wash the people's feet as they sat down for a meal um and so they got into this room and nobody began to serve one another by washing of the, the their like one another's feet and i almost kind of like imagine jesus sitting there going oh boy it's like you're this far along into the curriculum, like I depart tomorrow, and you're not getting like the most elementary teaching of like serving one another, thinking of yourself um, humbly, and being willing to like view others higher than yourself and to give of yourself. And, and I imagine there was sort of like an awkward silence, and then Jesus gets up, and then he begins to to wash the disciples' feet. There was some pushback by Peter. And then Jesus began to teach. Uh, The Apostle John devotes like a quarter of his gospel to this evening before Jesus was betrayed. And he kicks off in John 13, 35 with this saying, by this all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And the context is Jesus' doing, like that he actually did something that was beneath him, that he washed the feet of these disciples. Um, I, like the closest I can imagine in, in our culture, this would be like changing somebody's bedpan, doing something that um, is, is not really like something that you want to do. And so he had just washed their feet, and then he says, guys, you need to love as I loved you. This is This is the command. My love is action, it's a verb, it's doing, it's selfless. Um, I want you to love as I love. And the world, as it sees you loving, it will recognize that there's something different about you, that you, will, you are my children. And so here, as John has sort of made this distinction, like um, in verse 10, there are the children of God and the children of the, de- the devil, and the distinction is clear. Uh, there's practicing righteousness, and then it's expanded upon the practicing of righteousness looks like loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so in verse 11, he says, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now remember, the, uh, so much of John is ca- a counter teaching to, to erroneous teaching that had gotten into the church These Gnostics had gone around saying that they had special insight, special understanding, and that they would give them uh, the the thinking and the tools that they needed to approach God. It was a new teaching. And so John says, you don't need a new teaching. You need the original teaching, the clear teaching, uh, this loving one another. If we were to go back into Matthew, I'm not going to read Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. But in that section, Jesus found himself being confronted by the religious leaders. He kept stumping them. They would come through. He would teach. The people were looking, Oh man, this guy teaches with authority. There's something different about him. And then as one group of the religious leaders saw that they failed, the other group was like, okay, let's come in with another angle. And so they sent a scribe or an attorney of the law forward to Jesus. And they say, hey, uh, so of the whole Old Testament, what is the most important command out there. And Jesus says, you know what? The most important command is to love God with everything that you are, everything that you have. And the one uh, second to that is really close. It's to love others as you love yourself. And they're all kind of looking at the attorney going, how do he answer? He's like, he nailed it. It's like, oh, rats, you know, we messed up. We're trying to trap him, and this guy just seems to answer all the questions. And then the verse I just read, um, the night which Jesus was betrayed, he, t- he takes the, the greatest two commandments and he puts a slight variation on it. So initially, the command was to love one another as yourself, to imagine how you'd like to be loved and then to do that to others. But in the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he says, the new commandment I give you is that you love one another as I have loved you. So it's no. the standard is no longer like what you think you want in being loved. The standard now is how Jesus loved. And Jesus loved sacrificially. Like he gave of himself. He was selfless. Um, it, it was a very high standard of love. And so verse 11 is sort of like the the banner of this section is that we should love one another. If you take anything else away from today... You should walk away from here with my marching orders are that I need to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so then John begins with the sort of like if the command is to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, he wants to go to the very opposite worst illustration that he can possibly come up with. And the worst illustration is Cain. And so he's going to go back to the Genesis account back in Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel, the children of Uh, Adam and Eve. um, And he says, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. And so he goes back to the story, these two brothers making their offering to the Lord. There's so much about this story that we don't know. We, we don't know what the instructions were. We don't have clear, like, It's just not revealed to us. But throughout the unfolding of this story, it's very evident that while we don't know what the instructions were, they knew how they were to worship God and the things that they were to do. And so Abel takes an animal. He sacrifices it. He, he sets it before the Lord. The Lord is satisfied. It was pleased. The brother, it seems that the animal sacrifice was, was the requirement. The brother takes some fruits and vegetables, um, and he makes a, an offering with these. And it, we're told that that God was not satisfied. And it seemed that whatever God had told them to do, Cain didn't do what God wanted. He did what he thought was a good substitute. And so then God uh, confronted him. And then Cain, instead of getting right with God, what he does is he gets Angry, like the the word in the Hebrew is like his face turns red. He's just like fuming with with anger, and the word that John uses here for slaying his brother, like this is a, like a horrible uh, butchering or slaughtering of an individual. Like so, John is not like like holding back any punches against what Cain did. This is just pure evil that exploded from Cain onto Abel. <clears throat> In Hebrews eleven 4, we're told that Abel, sort of the other side, that when he made his sacrifice, he did it by faith, trusting in God, that his righteousness uh, was revealed. And so as we look at this verse, not as Cain, who is of the evil one, and slew his brother, and for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. And so we're told that when we love one another, or the command that we're to love one another, our love is not to look like Cain. That seems pretty obvious. Um, and so John is going to take sort of this story of Cain and Abel, and he's going to look at it from the two, the, like there's two vantage points. Uh, there's one from the perspective of Abel, which in verse 13, we're going to see the advantage, like or the vantage point of Abel. But here, he's really looking at the vantage point of Cain, that we're not to love like Cain, which Cain didn't love. He looked at his brother's righteousness, and within him it was like coals of burning, fuming anger, and it exploded, and it says, Okay, God, you want a sacrifice? I'll give you a sacrifice. Here's my brother for you. And he sacrifices his brother. And he's saying, Don't do that. And you might think, Well, I'm not a murderer like Cain. I don't, I don't do this to other people. And, uh, or maybe it's just me. But on Monday, you know, I was, I went out for like a hike. And I was listening to the passage and kind of reflecting on this and not so much convicted, just kind of like, oh, yeah, like this is really important that we need to love one way and not love this other way. And as my morning sort of of unfolded, there was an individual who I apparently had poked the wrong way. Like Like I had done some stuff that sort of like hit a nerve. And and so I'm like, I just need to deal with this. So I call the individual, and as the individual was talking, then they hit a nerve in me. And it's like, you know, when you get a nerve hit, you just kinda like erupt? And it like it was not pretty. Like the both of us are like erupting on one another in total like anger like like the love of Cain is within us, like just under the surface. It's like you hit your funny bone and all of a sudden we're like screaming at each other. And I'm not saying this because I'm proud, I'm saying this just because like this is, this is the lesson that God wished, and so then we're like, like we, we, it was not pretty. We were both very upset. And we're like, we need to deal with this in person. And so we're like, okay, I can be to the church in 15 minutes. Or I can be at the church in 15 minutes. So we both got to the church in 15 minutes. And in that 15 minutes, God began to convict us both. <laughs> isn't it good? Like, like this isn't some non-believer. This is a believer. Like this is a my, like a, 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 a brother or sister in Christ. And, Um, so like we get here and I begin with like, I'm totally sorry. Like I, I am like how I responded and the nerve that you hit in me, that was unacceptable for me to do this. And so I am sorry. And the individual said, I forgive you. And they're like, I was totally wrong in how I like went off on you. I'm like, I forgive you. I mean it. And, and then it's like, okay, now can we move to the issue? Are we sure that we're good? Are we like, like the last thirty minutes? Are we good to then now address? Because we can't begin to go to this issue until like our total like screw up in the last thirty minutes. Like unless this is actually resolved, we can't go to the next step. And they're like, I'm like, I'm, I I legitimately am good. If you're good, and they're like, no, 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 I'm good. So let's go to the next thing. So he went to the next thing, and we're like, Ah. I'm really sorry. I hit a nerve. Let's come up with a code word in case I hit your code word. In in case I, I'm like with my boys, we have a code word. Like if they're starting to get angry or I say something that kind of like jars them, if I hear Gideon say Camp (laughs) Chewonkie, we've had to change the word because that's a happy place and the other kids didn't like that I used Camp Chewonkie, that that he came up with Camp Chewonkie. And so we had to come up with a different word. Um, but it was like okay if this word is said that means that things are going too far and I, and i'm about to lose my cool and it, something's got to give and so then we established a code word between me and this individual because we both acknowledged that neither one of us were going to be able to survive the rest of our lives without pricking each other again like it's just like the reality we're humans right like and so we will like and so now i have the code word And so then we got through it, and then we both were at peace, and then, you know, throughout the week we've been communicating, going, hey, are you still good? Because, like, in my mind, things are kind of running wild. Like, no, 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 I'm good. Are you good? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. And, like, because I don't think Satan has control of our thoughts, but our flesh has a way of, like, letting things run out of control. And so because we had this very real, very open thing, it's, like, beautiful. And it's, like, we've both been kind of texting, like, hey, I'm really proud with how we resolved this. But I know, like... (laughs) I know it has nothing to do with us. It's only by the Spirit of God that we were able to resolve this. But, like, if I can say it, I'm proud of us. We're like, yeah, 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 I'm You know, so we're kind of, like, patting each other on the back. But it's like, we can read this, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother, and for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. And so we can think that, like, no, 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 I'm a Christian. I live a really good life, and I can do this, and I don't ever have this. Well, this passage is going to unfold to show us and expose That you, in your flesh, probably still have a little little bit of Cain within you. And so, how do we as Christians sort of deal with this when this happens? Because to act like that we're not going to operate in the flesh ever, John would tell you that you're making him a liar, and the truth isn't in you. The, The reality is, is this side of heaven, we have our flesh and we have our spirit, and we want to be walking in the spirit, but our flesh is powerful and it's been working us for our whole lives. And so it's really easy to, to, to slip out of how we're supposed to be walking. And so the first thing he says is in verse 13, he says, don't be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. And so we should not be surprised if as we live for God, that the world doesn't respond As we think the world should respond. And what he's doing here in verse 13 is he's moving from the perspective of Cain. So Cain's response to this was to erupt in anger and to explode on his brother. But now he's shifting to Abel's perspective. Like, what did Abel do? Abel was just loving God, loving others, living the Christian life, doing everything he was supposed to be. God says, hey, I want, you know, sin has entered the world now. So part of this is you got to make a sacrifice to be reminded of the fall and to get right with me. So he says, okay, God wants me to make a sacrifice to some animals and to do it this way. I don't necessarily understand why this is done this way, but I'm going to do it by faith. So he goes, he makes his his sacrifice, he worships God, he gets at peace with God, he's living righteously. You would think that the world around him, which was very small from a human perspective, it was like mom and dad and his brother, and and you would think that like, that it would be like good, that, that everything would be kosher between them. But so he's doing the right thing. He's living righteously, but his brother is getting furious and getting frustrated and angry and ultimately it's going to cost him his life. And so from this, the apostle John is saying, listen, as you live your life for God, as you live righteously, don't be surprised at the cycle that's going to come your way. And the cycle is this, you receive God's love. You encounter God, you recognize that he loves you, that he died for you, that he saved you, that you're forgiven in him. It affects you. And so then from that, the natural response is to love God back and to do the things that God wants you to do and to do your best to sort of like honor him with your life, with your thoughts, with your actions. And then as you do this, you think, oh yeah, my mom and dad are going to love me because now I'm walking with Jesus. My friends are going to love me because now I'm walking with Jesus. And then you go to your friend who two weeks ago you were walking in the flesh with and you say, hey man, I found Christ and I'm going to start living my life dangerously. You think that they say, oh, wonderful. Let's go get a campfire and sing Kumbaya, my Lord. Like, let's have a wonderful time. But that never happens. What happens is the friend's like, man, what happened to you? You're like, you weak individual. Like, you're having fun. like." And there's a pushback at, at like a minimum or it could be much harsher. And so he says, listen, the cycle is you love God, you honor God, the world hates you. Don't don't be expecting the world to love you or things to go easier for you because now you're walking with God. There's going to be friction. There's going to be tension. There's going to be pushback, not only within you, but externally from the world. He continues in verse 14, and he says, we know for those of you that have been paying attention to this word, no, this is oida. This is an absolute understanding. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. So the first phrase that sort of grabs me in this this uh, this verse is because we love the brethren. So something happens to the individual who encounters Christ. Suddenly when you encounter Christ and you become his child, you receive him, you have the spirit of God within you, how you view other people, namely fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a difference there. Like before I was a Christian, I thought Christians were like goofy. Like I they made no sense to me and I didn't really have a huge exposure of like what a Christian was. But now that I've been walking with the Lord for like a couple of decades and I've experienced Christians like around the world, different contexts, different languages, different sort of idiosyncrasies, there's something that is like radically different within me about how I feel for another individual who's received Christ. Like I've been to parts of the world where like I can't understand a single thing that they're saying in words, to be in a church service with them, listening to some language, listening to a style, style of music that is not my own. And to have this like deep, deep bond for the people that are there, it doesn't make any sense. And he's saying that like, you know that you've passed from death to life when you experience this sort of like change of heart and kinship like within you. Like, you know that you've passed from death into life, conversion, transformation, because we love the brother. And, like, my love for all of you, like, in this room, there's a vast array of, of differences of, of people. I mean, like, we have Dodger fans and Padre fans, but we're like, we love one another. Like, like I love y- Yolanda and Dolores, they don't love the Padres. But our life isn't united around the. Pot. And I've met a new Dodger fan today, and I like I love this guy. I don't even know him, even though he's a Dodgers fan. You know, like, and it's it, like, it's like we're connected through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That our lives have been transformed, and that's the thing that brings us together. That's where our love is. That we have this kinship that goes beyond words. But then he goes to the other extreme. He who does not love abides in death. So much of John has been talking about abiding with Jesus in this picture of abiding for me, being in a dangerous area, Jesus saying, hold my hand. It's dangerous out there. Stay close to me. Stay close to me. Stay close to me. And he says, if you're not loving, you're not abiding. You're abiding in death, which that's kind of like a horrifying thought. Um, A few years ago, it's probably been like uh, 16, 17 years ago, Um, there's church history, there's always like movements that kind of sprout up within the church and probably like, I don't know, 15 to 20 years ago, there was a, a movement that sprouted up and the movement was like the emergent church. And so I had a lot of buddies like during this time that were that were really embracing sort of the emergent movement there were things that sort of sound, sounded good about it it was like it was kind of like embracing culture or like using the culture that you were in as a as a tool as a as a mode to share the gospel so at first glance it looked really good like there's there's a lot of things that I kind of agree with like there's things that I definitely agree with but there was also Within this movement, I would hear individuals saying things like, "I love Jesus, but I hate Christians." I was like, "Huh that, that that doesn't seem to like fit the narrative of the Bible And it was super common. so there was like this movement was sort of born out of like they were, and they probably had there was probably valid. Concerns about church culture and things like happen within churches. And, but then to say things like, I love Jesus and I just don't like his people. Like that's, that's, it's enough to make you wonder. Especially when you're confronted with this verse 14. It says, You know that you've passed from life, from death into life because you have love for the brothers. If you don't have love, and I think you could insert for the brothers or sisters in Christ then you're abiding in death. So so this is like a, a huge pushback. So if you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ, the spirit of Cain is still within you. And it's super convicting. He goes on, he's not going to be done with us. So just, if I'm stepping on your toes, it's only going to get more pressure here. Um, just to warn you, like, because it, like, so everyone who hates his brother, verse 15, is a murderer. And you know, that's oida absolutely, that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So he, he continues to like increase the ante. I, I think of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, like, you think that the Old Testament is hard? Well, Jesus is going to make it exponentially hard, like more impossible. He said, Oh, you've heard it said that if you committed, uh, if you uh, commit adultery on your life, or no, no, if you have, if you've done something, You're an adulterer, something along those lines. But then he says, but I tell you, if you have looked with lust upon a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. He says, if you hate your brother, you're actually a murderer. So he's taken the Old Testament law, and he's made it significantly more severe. And in this case, he says, you hate your brother, then you're a murderer. Like, you might not physically actually murder them, but in your heart before God, as you look at your brother or sister in Christ, For whom Christ has died and you say, I hate you, you're actually a murderer. Or that's how God sees you. And then he says these hard things like no murder. (laughs) Like so now we've we've gone from you hate your brother, you're a murderer. And no murderer has eternal life. Like eternal life is not abiding in him. Like you can't be abiding in Christ and having this hate feeling towards your brother or sister in Christ. They're incompatible. And and I do think that this is one of those things of the Bible, like these two categories of like giving assurance to somebody who's not saved of their salvation, and then if you're saved, like kind of rattling you to make sure that you're actually like that you're irreducible minimum that you're being forced to the person of Christ. If I'm over here and I have a blow up with a person who I'd love and I care for, and in that moment, that rage, there's hate within my heart. The beauty is that we have the Spirit of God that then zaps us and says, you are way off base. It doesn't matter what they did, what they said. You need to get right with me, and you need to do your best to get right with them. And this is how God, like, like he keeps us on track. And so if you have, like, long-standing, like, Hatred, bitterness, unforgiveness for those who have wronged you. This is one of those gut checks. To like God is saying, it's affecting you. It's not affecting them. It's affecting you and your relationship with me. And you need to you need to get this right. I used to think that the Bible and Christianity was for weak people. That it was like a crutch. the longer I study the Bible, the more I realize, like, it takes great strength to, like, live out the commands. Like, the Bible, like, this is difficult. Like, when we understand the righteousness of Christ and what he has done, the reality is, is I know that I'm going to fall short and I can't. And I'm just like, I need Jesus to work in my life. I can't do this in my flesh. I can't live this out. I was so naive. Back then, thinking that Christianity was easy road to walk, he goes on to say, "We know Gnosko experientially. It's a different knowledge. This is an experiential knowledge. We know love by this: that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay our we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren." So when he says, we know love by this, and he points to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So when we look at Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, um, according to Philippians chapter 2, we see that this was selfless on Jesus' part. Jesus being God, humbled himself, became a man. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross. Like it says, even death on a cross, sort of like highlighting the horror of dying on the cross. Um, you know, being raised Catholic, like I always had the picture of the, you know, the, the cross at the front of the church and Jesus's body being up there, but they always like put a loincloth on. There was no loincloth. Like this was the most humiliating, horrific, brutal execution. And So he selflessly, sacrificially went to the cross to give us life and to remind us that none of us were deserving. None of us did anything that, that made us worthy of Jesus's sacrifice on the cross. And yet he did. And so we know, we know experientially and I Pray, my hope, my, I believe that the vast majority of us know Jesus as their Savior, has, have experienced him, but there might be one or two or three or four or six, I don't know, like, who haven't actually experienced his love. To get to the, the place where you feel the vileness of your sin and the helplessness of being in that place and the wretchedness within you of your own <laughs> sin, there is, like, nothing worse But I would suggest that there's no better place to be. Because if you can get to that place and then to encounter the living God who says, I love you, I died for you, I was your substitute on the cross, I have paid for your sins in full, incomplete. This is experiencing love. To be on that receiving end. Not to experience a God that says, oh, Gunner, I remember when you did this and this and this and this, and I've kept a tab of every little thing that you've done. This might be how we live our lives at times, keeping tabs of people who have wronged us, but that's not how God deals with us. Uh, he's absorbed it in full. And so he says we know, loved by this, that he laid down his life for us, but then there's the even more difficult phrase. We ought to. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Jesus died for us, but his death was an example for how we need to live. Um, like, over the last 20-some years, I've lost a lot of buddies in combat, like far too many. Like, I've, I've lost count of, of good friends, and I don't really like to do the game of actually going back and doing the actual count of guys, Um. But there had been like a handful. There were three of the many deaths that were super impactful. Um, the, f- the first one that was like, it rattled me, but it rattled me in a way that, that, that was more like, I can't believe the love that this guy demonstrated. And so back in September of 2006, uh, so whenever there's a death in the SEAL teams, like we're like, I don't want to be offensive. I got to think if there's a different way. What I was going to say, like, we have a sewing circle and I think that's offensive to older ladies that sew. And that's not what I'm trying to, that's not, we like to gossip, we like to gossip. Like, I'll just, like, we like to gossip. Something can happen on the other side of the world at two in the morning and by nine in the morning on the other side of the world, everybody in the SEAL teams knows what Joe, Joe Schmo did to like, and so word got out that we lost we like we lost a guy last night and I was like oh man like we lost uh and and so then like kind of going uh, who what like who would we lose like you're all, you're kind of like cuz you know there's a range of people there's people that you're really close to and there's people that you know and then there's people that maybe you've not met and in these moments you're kind of like bracing like I hope it's somebody I don't know like I hope it's somebody that's kind of like far from me because that'll be easier to bear the the even though it will be hurt because we're a small community. But so in September of 2006 I got word that a that a, a friend was killed. And I was like, "Oh man, that's like it stinks, man. He was my student. It was like 2006. I like just put him through training like 2 years prior." And I was like, "Man, that's that's tough, and then then it takes a little bit longer, a few more days, to start getting the 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 hot gossip or the hot tea, as I've heard it's called, about like what 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 were the circumstances surrounding his death? And now this death uh, concerning Mikey, uh, it's, he's now like a spam email get, that gets forwarded around, um, but then word got out. Or like word got back to me that Mike Monsoor, who was a student of mine, he was on operation with my like brother-in-law or former brother-in-law. And and they were on a rooftop doing surveillance thing, A hand grenade came over the, the roof. And then he, in a split second, threw himself onto the hand grenade, sparing the lives of these other guys who like I knew and love. And so it wasn't just like this was like some freak of, like oh man, like stuff happens in combat. People die. Like people get killed. It's just the nature of the game. Like it's a whole nother thing when you look, like somebody that you know that you used to harass and tease to hear that this individual in a split second said, "I know that unless I do this, these people are going to die, and I love them so much, I'm going to throw myself onto this thing and give my life." Like I mean, I've been hearing about the like at this like at this point. I was just before I came up here as a pastor, and it's like. I knew the story of the cross. I knew what Jesus had done. But it was so like, in a way, it was so abstract. And, I, and to actually like have an individual to, like, to think of themselves in a way that they thought less of themselves and more of the others that they would demonstrate love in this way was like, it's like the most selfless thing that I've ever like, like I didn't even experience it. I was a few ripples away but it was like the most selfless act that I've like ever really encountered. And then after that act, it's like the whole like idea of what Jesus did on the cross, like like it it almost brought to color a little bit more for me about what Jesus did on my behalf. And so when I look at this, like, because John's not going to stop here, like dying for one another might be like, it, it might be, That that, that's one level. Like, you might, in the most severe circumstances, be willing to like give up yourself, give give yourself up in this most sacrificial way that you would give of your life to save others. I think, or I hope, that we would do this. Like, when it comes to like our spouse, our children, Um, you know, like cognitively, we hope that we would have that. You you have no idea how you'd act in the actual moment. But John is gonna make this like so much harder. Because I can think, oh, in this moment of uh, like my guardian's my guardian wiring might like actually respond in a way that I would do that. But I think he's actually asking us to live like in a harder sacrificial way. And that's sort of like sacrificially living for one another. Like sure, I I like Love my wife and I die for her. Like, I can say that I've not been put in that position yet. But then it's like, am I willing to do like other things sacrificially that don't require me dying? Like, talking to her when she needs to be talked to, you know? Not, 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 that sounds really bad. Like, my <laughs> wife likes talking. That's her love language. Not like a talking to, like a, uh, You know, like I can be really busy and and distracted and Anna's like I need to talk for me to say, you know what, this stuff doesn't matter, you I'm gonna sacrifice so that I'm gonna give you my attention. Or I'm gonna do like what whatever it is. Sometimes I think that these actions are so much harder. Because he goes on to say, verse 17, but whoever has the world's good and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? So he goes from hatred. He goes from sacrificing like Jesus sacrificed, but then he goes to your your pocketbook, your time. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, you see that they're in need and you close your, your heart. Like he starts with the heart. You close your heart against them. And because your heart is closed against them, Everything else that you have to offer is now closed to them. And he says, if your heart is closed, then the love of God is not abiding in you. And and, and so this is where he really starts stepping our toes because our treasure reveals our heart. Like, how do you invest your time? Like, where are you giving of your actual, the time? We only have, what, 365 days a year. I'm not going to do the math to figure out how many seconds a day in a year. Like, our time is a huge asset. How are you giving of your time? How are you using your financial resources? Um, and because how we utilize these things, our time and our money, these seem to be, like, very precious assets to us and how they're utilizing how they're utilized it reveals demonstrates the things that we truly value and care for you can say one thing but when you look at your pocketbook and your time that then shows what your true idol or god is and so he's really like pressing this point home if you want to live like Jesus if you want to love like Jesus it's going to come at a cost love is doing, doing. Like it's a, it's a verb. It's not a feeling. And so as we abide in Jesus, as we experience Christ, our perspective of our stuff changes. Like our stuff goes from like holding it into a clenched fist to like, you know, it might be like, a come on, come on, get it over. But like, okay, Lord, everything I have is yours. Because that's, that's the reality. Like as we mature in Christ, we realize that everything that we've given, every breath that you take, every dollar that you have, every gift that you have, it's a gift from God and you're not the owner of it, you're the manager of it. And you're going to give an account to him for how you use the gifts that he has blessed you with. And so he goes on to say, verse 18, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but indeed in deed and truth. And so love does. This is a command for us, as followers of Christ, to be intentional with how we love one another. Love is an action. we are to be intentional. we are to seek opportunities we are to be prepared like like seeing opportunities like the fact that Chris texted me this week about like the gifts in Romania that was such a beautiful thing, like we know it was a little girl that had the seed, but it 's like You don't just raise eleven hundred bucks. I don't raise eleven hundred bucks in fifteen minutes by like saying, Hey guys, can you I I have some stuff. I've been I've been drawing pictures up here. Can I raise some money? Like it doesn't like. But it's like you all like see value in the heart of this little girl, you see value in Romania, and so you opened up your pocketbooks in a tremendous way. And it's it's beautiful. I don't even see Melanie. Melanie must be in Sunday school. She like she cracked me up. So there was like a gift day, and she's like, oh, "I didn't have time to go shop." But I ha- here's- I'm like, "Well, you didn't have time to shop. Where's the gift? Like, here's the gift." Like, and she's like, "Oh, I have an emergency gift stash." I'm like, "What do you mean you have an emergency gift stash?" She's like, "Oh, I pre buy I pre buy gifts just in case to look for opportunities to gift to people." Like, and I'm like, oh, you're killing me. Like, I that's not my love language." But so I have a little dartboard in my office, and one of her pre pre arranged gifts to, to to give a gift to me. So like. It's silly to me, but I also think there's a lesson. Like, are you like prepared? Like, are you preparing? Like, okay, God has given me stuff. I want to keep my eyes open. I have this amount and I want to, I want to give a gift in this way. And when the opportunity presents itself, I'm ready. And I just, I see this. Like, don't just with your words, but indeed. And he also tacks in this and truth because love is bound to truth. And truth kind of bleeds into the next section, which we 'll look at next next week, but truth governs how we love, and we live in an age that's totally divorced from truth. Um, like I don't want to go too far, but it's you, you don't like if you try to search for another church, like you move away somewhere, you're on vacation, you're going to see that there's a whole lot of churches out there that claim to love one another in the name of God but the things that they believe and the things that they're promoting are very front and center, that are very divorced from the truth of the scripture. And so love is governed by truth. And it takes wisdom to know how to dispense these things. Okay, so what do we do with this? I don't know, I see that we're out of time. It has nothing to do with the Potter's game. It's like a whole hour away. Um, <laughs> or, <laughs> <laughs> this passage has some like, Really simple truths. The first that I see is that God loves us. God loves us in this amazing amazing way. Like our sin has separated us from him. He loves us so much that he sent his son to give his life for us to suffer the consequence of our sin and that by faith you can receive forgiveness. Uh, to experience salvation in a, in a true way where you're transformed where you're moved from death to life, it's overwhelming. The, the only response from this is to love God back because of what he's done for us. Like he loves us and it moves us, we love him back. And as we love him back, what he says is, I want you to love like I loved. There's a whole lot of people around here who you might have a bone to pick with that you have unresolved things with. And the word of God is is telling us that these are people for whom Christ died. And if Jesus loves them, then that means we're to love them. They might be difficult to love, but our marching orders are to love in this way. Jesus is the one who said a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Let's pray. Fathers, we look at this passage. It's um, It can be a, a hard thing to look at ourselves in the mirror, to look beyond the surface level and into our hearts. <clears throat> our hearts are dark. Our desires can be off. Um. We might have anger, resentment, hurts, pains, and they cause us to react in ways that are not like Christ but are like Cain. And so, Father, when we're confronted with the reality of like who we are deep within us, we, we recognize that we need help. We need you. We do not have the capacity to change ourselves. We need your spirit to supernaturally change us. And so, Father, my prayer is that we as a people would lay our lives down before you, For those of us who have not received Christ as Savior, I pray, Father, that you would help them to connect the dots, uh, to investigate, to seek out the questions that they have, uh, that they would get clarity on the gospel. That It's simple, that Jesus died for them. He was our substitute. His death was sufficient once and for all. And what you desire of us is to respond in faith, trust, and that we would walk with you. And Lord, as you do your work in our hearts, we ask, Father, that you would help us um, to have more of you and less of ourselves, that we would lean on the Spirit, that you would place love in our heart, that we would seek opportunities, that we by faith would, would step out and Love one another. It might be stopping and just asking somebody, how are you doing? And to really be there to to talk to them. It might be that there's a physical need that you see that you can meet. Um, Father, whatever it is, I ask that you would help us to lean on your spirit and to walk with you moment by moment all of the days of our life. We love you, Father. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen. Amen.